Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. What are the objectives of this class? The objectives of this class are not to figure out every single, every single symbol, every single figurative language and get it exactly right. There is no way we are ever going to be able to do that. I don't know of anyone who can do that, actually. What our objectives are is to have some type of working knowledge of the book of Revelation so that we can speak intelligently to a premillennialist. The churches of Christ have, have historically not had a good response to premillennialism when it comes to the book of Revelation. That is sad. I, I wish it would change. But I, I think people get frustrated with this book. Like I heard, I was speaking to somebody a while ago. They said they get frustrated because they can't figure some things out. And, and I share that same frustration. By the same token, we can understand enough to have an intelligent conversation with somebody who is misrepresenting Revelation, such as the premillennialist. As long as we stay consistent with the book of Revelation itself, the entirety of the book, don't just pick one or two verses and try to run with those. Be consistent from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 22, and especially chapter 6 through 20 as well as being consistent with the historical record of the first century church and first century Rome, and be consistent with the rest of the Bible when it comes to doctrinal issues, we're going to be okay. Yes, sir, let me bring this back here so you can talk to everybody. Was, was the book ever challenged either by the, the early fathers or later those we're putting together, you know, compiling the Bible? Uh, actually, yes. The reason this, this class takes 55 weeks is because there's lots of historical information like the question you just asked. Yes, it was challenging at first. I don't want to say it was the last book that went in, but it seems like I read somewhere where it was one of the last books that was accepted. Originally in the first and second century, I'm not sure it was accepted that, that broadly. But yes, it had its challenges. Yes, absolutely did. Um, I don't remember where I read this. I don't remember the link. I've got a bunch of links on my computer of all the places I've been. I don't remember where it was, but we talked about the historical writings of Prochorus before. Prochorus was the secretary, basically, the secretary to Apostle John, and he actually went to Patmos according to his writings. He went to Patmos with John and wrote down a lot of history. The first century did not have a problem with Prochorus' writings. The second century... Church did not have a problem with it. The 3rd century didn't, but the 4th century did. So, if the first three centuries did not have a problem with Prochorus' historical writings, but the 4th century did, 
Does that mean we need to toss out the writings of Prochorus? I don't know. I want I'm I'm on I'm I'm basing some of the things I say about Revelation, assuming Prochorus was was accurate. But see that there, there, there's history like that just just all the way through the first several centuries concerning the book of Revelation and concerning historical writings about Revelation that had that caused some stir, caused some caused some debates, probably caused some fights. And Revelation going into the canon of the Bible was one of the big discussions that was had in the early centuries. Yes, sure was. We're not trying to find every answer perfectly. Matter of fact, tonight's lesson, I'm going to let you teach part of it because I'm not sure I know the answer. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you come up with the answer instead. Our, 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 our goal is not to come up with every single answer perfect. Our goal is to come up with feasible alternatives to what premillennialism is saying. And we base our feasibilities on history, on the Bible, and on the context of Revelation. Can you go to heaven? Can you go to heaven without knowing Revelation? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely you can. But the point of studying Revelation is hopefully we can take some premillennialists with us. Hopefully we can change their minds, some of them's minds, so that they get on the right track. And yes, I know you, I know your question. Your question is, hey Bruce, have you ever convinced a premillennialist to change their minds? And the answer is yes. Have I ever failed? Yes, I have failed. I've, I've failed and I've succeeded both. The best you can do is just learn by your failures and, and move on. But that is the objectives we have. We're not trying to get this perfect. We're trying to get something that is reasonable, that we can support with evidence so that we can have an intelligent discussion with the premillennialists and hopefully change their mind. Any questions about that? Any comments? Does that make sense? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. Yes, sir? You can't go to the book of Revelation and, and, and learn how to be saved. This is, a, this is a letter written to Christians who are already in a saved state. And the message is, regardless of what happens to you, don't give up your faith. It's, it's a book of encouragement more than it is a, a book of conversion. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, Revelation was not meant to um, to be retroactive, I call it. Remember I told you that premillennialists require disasters to happen? If disasters do not happen, then they have no way of pointing to something and say, see, see, the end is near. And that's... There's never been a lack of disasters and wars. Dating back to the early... 1800s. I mean, there's been diseases, there's been famines, there's been problems. 
And since the early 1900s, premillennialists have been pointing to those saying, see, Revelation says the end is coming near. And what's interesting, we're going to find out, I guess, next week when we start talking about 666, every generation has its own beast. Every generation has its own end of times sign. And that's what's interesting is uh, two generations from now, what we're saying the end of time is now, they're going to reinterpret it as something else. Are you familiar with author Richard Rogers? No. Okay. He wrote a workbook on Revelation. He titled it Hallelujah Anyways. So uh, I guess I know why now. No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with him. I don't... It may be a flaw of mine, but I do not spend a lot of time reading commentaries or individuals. There is a, a, uh, a teacher that was at Lipscomb when my wife and I were there. And apparently he wrote a book on Revelation. And somebody I talked to I don't know, a few years ago said, said you know what? He sounds just like you, or you sound just like him. And I said, that's comforting to know. That's good to know, but I still have not read his book. I'm not, I'm not a big Revelation book reader. I like to go into the history, the history side of it. Because if I get too, if I get too bogged down in textbooks, I'm going to end up following somebody's doctrine as opposed to what history is saying. I want I want my thoughts to be backed up with history, and not a commentary. Now I'll sometimes go to commentary just to get an idea of of what the flavor of the month is, but I usually stay away from books like that. Not to say they're bad; it's just I, that's just my 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 uh, that's just been my tendency. Any more comments before we keep going? Okay, before, before, um, before Mark reads our text, I would like to go over these phrases right quick. In, in, the, in chapters 2 and 3, you see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 7 times you see this phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say to the churches. Revelation chapter 13 In chapter 17, it's just a little bit different. In chapters 2 and 3, it's basically saying, if you have the ability to understand what's being told to you, you better listen up because you're going to be held accountable for it. That's where in chapters 2 and 3, these churches are are being complimented, but they're also being criticized and gotten on to for some of the things they're doing wrong. When you get to chapter 13 and and 17, these phrases change just a little bit. In chapter 13, if any man have an ear, let him hear, or here is the wisdom. Or in chapter 17, here is the mind that has wisdom. When you see these three phrases, that means there is a clue coming to something. It is a clue that requires a little bit of insight, a little bit of inside information to actually understand what they're talking about. And as we go through chapter 13, and when we finally get to 17, you'll see what I'm talking about. But be on the lookout for these phrases, because they're an attention getter, basically. And they're also telling you there's a big clue coming up. 
Okay, Mr. Mark Bailey, will you please read chapter 13, please? Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Thank you. Hey, Sean Booth, can you uh, cut out these first three LEDs, please? Kind of washes out the screen a little bit. So here are the topics. Thank you. Appreciate that. Here are the topics... In chapter 13, we have beast number one, beast number two, the speaking idol. And I'm hoping we can get through captivity and the sword tonight and then start with uh, 666, the mark of the beast, next week. 
and discuss the Antichrist. And yes, that is indeed a credit card. Sometimes you, you have to just start reading premillennialism to see what premillennialism is saying now. According to premillennialists, chapter 13 prophesies that the United States is going to become a cashless society soon. So we'll be talking about that next week just ever so briefly. How do you counter something like that? What would the seven churches of Asia care about America becoming a cashless society in 2023? Don't know. We'll discuss that next week on how you counter things like that. Beast number one, beast number two, and the image, which is also called the speaking idol. The speaking image, the speaking idol. Let's figure out what all three of these represent, shall we? Okay, beast number one. If you look through all the characteristics in in chapter 13 concerning beast number one, here are the characteristics of it. It has seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns. Now, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage in chapter 13 because we haven't reached chapter 17. Chapter 17 may tell us what the seven heads represent, possibly. So forget the the top line. We'll get to the seven heads at at a later date. We know from chapter 13 that the dragon gives the beast power, World, a world throne and great authority. And of course, who's the dragon? We know that's Satan from chapter 12. It has one head wound, a fatal wound. In fact, in the, in the ladies, oops, hold it. In the ladies, um, painting here, you can just barely see it. It's, come on. It's right there. I don't know how easy that is to see see his head, but there's actually what looks like blood there. He has a fatal head wound that has healed. This beast amazes the world. The world worships this beast. The world says no one is as powerful as this beast who can make war against the beast. This beast blasphemes God. This beast makes war against God's people. In fact, it overcomes God's people. And even more than that, it overcomes the world. It pretty much dominates the world. Evil worships this beast. I believe the phrase was, those whose name is not written in the book of life worship this beast. This beast's number is the number of a man. And that number is 666. Now, is that enough clues? I don't know. Is that enough clues for us to figure out who this beast might represent? We may not get it right, but at least we can come up with something that is based upon fact that we can counter a premillennialist claim concerning this beast. Yes, sir. Shot Reagan, does 
Oh, really? Uh, what was the guy's name? Hinkley? Okay. Um, Ronald Reagan was, oh, okay, yeah. Um, every generation, I said, I mentioned before, has its 666, its mark of the beast. Political figures are very common as far as being called the beast. Yeah, and Ronald Reagan was indeed one of them, yes. But uh, he, he said that, that one of the reasons Ronald Reagan was shot, with the, the assassination attempt was made on his life, was because, the excuse, was because Ronald Reagan's name somehow adds up to 666. Oh, is that it? Okay, first name, middle name, last name, all have six letters. Okay. His home address was eventually six, was originally 666. Okay, boy, the guy can't catch a break, can he? Okay. Hitler, Stalin, Marx, Peter the Great, Trump, Obama, Reagan... Trying to think of some others who are real, huh? Yes, yes, I forgot about that. Various popes. There's actually the. I've never actually seen the list of popes that supposedly add up to 666, but I have heard that it was some of the first ones whose name added up to it. Did you know? Well, we won't get it. We'll get into that later. There are some crazy 666 or 666 stories. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's get back to the beast. Do we have enough clues here to come up with a reasonable explanation as to who this beast represents? Anybody want to give that a shot? There, as long as you stay consistent with this, these clues, it's consistent with history and consistent with the history of the first century church and consistent with Revelation, you're going to be okay. Hmm? No, in this case, Satan is the dragon. The very first time, I, I, very first times, first times that I actually went through this years ago, I would always come up with Satan, but I had to remind myself: No, Satan's the dragon. Drag, the dragon is giving the beast its power. So, no, it's not Satan. But yeah, I've done I've done that too several times. Okay, what else? Roman emperors. Somebody's been reading my charts. <laughs> I agree with both of you. Let's, let's, let's go on to that chart. That's all I could come up with, and it, it agrees with what you two are saying. I first had Nero on there. It turns out that Nero's, using Gematria, Nero's Hebrew spelling of his name adds up to 666. Domitian's name, as it appears on Greek coins in the Greek language, that abbreviation on those coins will add up to 666 also. So initially I had Nero, and then I thought, well, let's put Nero and Domitian. And I thought, well, some of these characteristics, let's go back to the characteristics, some of those characteristics actually match Rome better than it does Nero and Domitian. So I sort of hedged my bets a little bit, and I said, Rome as led by the Caesars, kind of like what y'all did. 
See, that's not so hard, is it? You ready for beast number two? All right, let's go to beast number two. Oh, by the way, let's talk about that. You can't see that heel. Let's talk about that wounded, that, that fatal wound on the head. What could that possibly be? Premillennials are going to come up with something, okay? Bless their hearts. They're going to come up with something that that, that head wound. What would be a good, a good rebuttal? What could that head wound possibly be? The only thing I can think that it could possibly be, since the beast represents probably Rome as, the, as, as it's led by the Caesars, could be the Caesars themselves. Have you read the history, starting from Augustus and going through Domitian? How these people came into power? They came into power by murdering the guy before them. Augustus used military power to kill all of his political enemies. Augustus, as you recall, he was the magistrate. He was kind of like a judge. He was sharing power with another guy. Well, he had some military authority, so he used that military authority to kill all of his enemies. And so he became Caesar. Tiberius was allegedly murdered by Caligula. Caligula was, was murdered by his Praetorian guard. That's the bodyguards for the Caesars. And the senators, they all got together and collaborated and apparently killed him. Claudius, the next guy, was poisoned by his wife. Yow. Yowie. And probably in favor of her son Nero. Now, they're not positive. History can't prove it, but they think that's actually what happened. Nero, of course, committed suicide. Galba was was murdered by his guard in a coup that they believe was led by the next guy, Otho. Is that how you pronounce his name? Otho committed suicide. Vespasian had two sons named Titus and Domitian. Vespasian died of the dysentery. I can't pronounce that name. Titus took over. Titus died under suspicious circumstances. They think he was poisoned, and they think it was Domitian who did it. And the reason they think Domitian did it is because Titus promised Domitian that he would have military authority under his administration, just like under his father's. And then when Titus got into into office, he said, no, not going to do it. And Domitian got mad. Domitian was a madman himself. History calls him madman, quote-unquote. He was killed with an assassination conspiracy between the court officials and the guy who took his place, Nerva. And then, of course, Nerva, Nerva, and then Trajan, and then Hadrian all died of natural causes. But that's bloody. You would think that if... If Nero killed himself and someone else took over, okay, the, the, the persecution is over, but it wasn't. Not only was it not over, it was actually going to get worse once Domitian came along two or three years later. But all these Caesars, they were not stopping the persecution of the church. And you would think if one of them died, well, maybe we'll get a good one in and the persecution went in. Well, no, it didn't. It kept on going all the way through Nerva. I don't know of any other explanation for the the fatal head wound that it healed because you would think Caesar's killing Caesar's would eventually solve the problems for the Christians, but it didn't. It did not at all. Is that the definition? Is that that an explanation of what the head wound is, the fatal head wound? I don't know. It's the only thing that would make sense to me. I, I can't prove it, though. 
Now, is that getting some of your brain cells thinking about that too? What are some of your ideas on, on that head wound? If a premillennialist came up to you and said that head wound was inflation, how would you counter that? Any ideas? Any more ideas than that? Tonight at home, you can stare at the ceiling for seven hours like I do most nights. Like I do most nights. And think about this and try to, try to reason, try to come up with, with some explanation that fits in Revelation and fits history. And personally, that's the only thing I can think of. But you see how this works. You may not get it perfect, but it is a feasible explanation that can counter something a premillennialist would claim. Okay, let's go to beast number two. Here are the characteristics that chapter 13 tells us about beast number two. He has two horns. Usually horns all throughout the Bible usually stands for power. He spoke like the dragon. This beast had the same power as beast number one. This beast number two serves beast number one. Let's circle that. That's important. Beast number two serves beast number one. The world is in awe of beast number two. Beast number two created an image to be worshipped. That image was an image of beast number one. Revelation 13 says that beast number two gave life, quote-unquote, to that image, to that idol. Beast number two enforced emperor worship. Receiving the mark is equivalent to receiving a certificate. If you bowed the knee to Caesar, you actually received a certificate. And if... And if the Roman government came knocking on your door and you could not produce that certificate. You were given the opportunity to bow your knee again and if you didn't, you were in trouble. Beast number two made sure that you cannot buy or sell without that certificate. We've already talked about this briefly. Um, if you look back at history, the uh, the Roman government they couldn't look in every nook and cranny for every Christian there is, so they tried to do, they tried to persecute also by proxy. They said if a Christian owned a business and you did business with that business, Rome would come after you too. And if you were a business who did business with a customer who was a Christian and Rome found out, they would boycott your business and go after you as well. So it wasn't just Rome going after Christians. They were, they, were, they were persecuting them by proxy as well. Beast number two murdered the non-kneelers, the non-worshippers. And beast number two had so much power that chapter 13 describes it in supernatural in supernatural ways. It's, it's, like the, it's like the beast too had supernatural powers. That's how powerful it was. Now, 
based upon what you know about the first century history of the church in Rome, who do you think beast number two may represent? There, there's no right or wrong answer. Who do you think that might represent? Okay. Beast number two, beast number two, yeah, beast number two enforces the economic side of this. Absolutely, yes. So who, so who would beast number two be in, in the Roman? Yes, sir. It could be, yeah. It could be the legislative arm. Um, in the in in the Rome in the Roman world, the Senate had power, but the Caesar had more power. Uh, when Augusta came, I believe it was Augustus, when he came to power, he actually murdered like two hundred members of the Senate. Am I am I, am I did I read that correctly? I'm I'm, it's, I'm 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 saying that from memory from several several months ago. I know one of the one of the Caesars, I believe it was Augustus, he killed a, a large number of Senate. So it could it could be them. They did have power. They did have power to do things like that. Could be. Who else might it be? Huh? <laughs> You're close. Okay, now beast one, we've already included the Caesars, okay? Oh, I see what you're saying. It could be it could be the regional leaders. I hadn't thought of that actually. I have to re- reconsider that. Yeah, it could be. But even with even with the middle management, how are they going to enforce it? There you go. That's what I was thinking. The only way I can explain this supernatural power, that really hung me up for a long time too. I finally came to the conclusion that the Roman military, all these regional middle management types, their power and their military is basically taking over the world. Um, I don't know if you've ever, ever, ever heard this before. I heard this when I was growing up. I don't, I don't hear it so much anymore. Back in the hellfire and damnation preaching days, some of you know what I'm talking about. I can remember hearing members when I was young, I remember hearing members saying, boy, that preacher really brought down fire from heaven today, didn't he? Well, did he really bring down fire from heaven? No. It's just an expression. And I suspect that's a similar figurative language probably being used here. Because we know there was only one person who could do miracles, and that was Jesus, and then whatever the Holy Spirit allowed other people to do. So at, at this time, were, 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 was the, uh, the Roman establishment, were they actually able to perform miracles? Probably not. As a matter of fact, I, I would dare say no. So I suspect, 
I suspect this supernatural power business, I suspect it's just figurative language because you look at this, you look at the Roman military, you look at these middle managements coming at you, and you're going to think they have supernatural powers just because they are so powerful. They, they pretty much took over the world, the known world at that time. Speak a little bit louder. I'm deaf. And that's probably, yeah, you explained that better than I did. That's, that, that's, that's probably where this figurative language is coming from. See, I, I am your typical engineer. I'm always changing things. There we go. How's that? Is that better? That gets your middle management in there. I, I kind of like that idea. It's not just the military. It's the people who are in charge of them and managing them. Yes, Tom? Oh, okay. Does that, does that sound reasonable? Now, is that correct? We're not sure. But it is reasonable and it is backed up with evidence. Let me get this over here so that you can talk to everybody here. I, I could be wrong, but I, I think I remember reading a lot of the ancient world, there, you know, banks weren't around. And a lot of uh, wealth collection was done in temples. Uh, for religious leaders and the money changing going on with people coming into temples, they'd have a lot of financial power. Uh, and it seems like that could be possibly uh, where a lot of the per- uh, persecution and the power to direct, you know, uh, military could be coming from the uh, religious leaders. Yes. You may have not only military leaders, but religious leaders. You know... Rome had its own set of gods. And you know the Christians, they knew they were not supposed to worship them. Their own set of gods included the Caesars. So yeah, there could have been, there could have been some religious pressure coming there too. That's true. I hadn't thought of that either. It's true. Y'all are doing well. We have about five minutes left. Let's go ahead and get this speaking idol done. Speaking idol is real short. The speaking idol honors the first beast. The second beast gave it life, quote-unquote, to the image. He basically enforced it. This, This speaking idol ordered the people to do two things. Number one, to worship beast number one and to be killed if they refused. Who might this speaking idol be? Now, premillennialists are going to come up with something. Who knows? Who knows what they're going to call the speaking idol? What would you say to counter what a premillennialist would say about this speaking image? He honors the first beast. We know the second beast gives him life, gives him authority. 
He basically enforces it. This speaking out orders the people to worship beast number one and to be killed if they refuse to. What are your ideas on that one? Well, beast two gives the authority to, to this idol. What I would say to that is that beast one we know is going to be Rome and the Caesars. Beast number two would be the military because they had the power to kill people. This has the, 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 this has the, the authority to order people to be killed. There's, there's a slight difference there, ever so slight. And once I'm telling you what I'm thinking, you'll understand that little difference there. This one's a little tougher. What does it sound like that might be? Could be, it could be. Um, what I had in mind is very close to what you're saying. Let me go ahead and show you what I said, what I'm thinking. It is the law to actually worship the Caesar. Caesar puts it in law, the military backs it up. That could be on the religious side as well, though, because like was mentioned over here, there could be some religious pressure brought to bear as well. So, yes, that could be. I need, I need to update my charts again. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. There could have been some religious pressure brought to bear. There could have been some religious persecution as well because they clearly were not worshiping the Caesars and clearly they were not worshiping these, these Roman gods. So all that we've talked about tonight for the, the beast, the two beasts in the image... I don't know if that's right or not. I don't think anybody knows if it's right, but it is reasonable based upon evidence and history. Would you agree with that? I think it's reasonable. Of course, you can't definitely say, absolutely, that's Rome led by the Caesars, that's definitely the military, that's definitely the law or the religious laws of the time. But it is based upon history, it is based upon fact, and it is logical. So see, you don't have to be perfect with revelation in order to have a response to premillennialism. You just have to be able to back up what you say with evidence. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we talked about just a second ago, actually. Um, if, you saw, if, if you saw these middle managements coming at you with the military, these regional leaders, and they take over the world, it would look to me like they had supernatural powers. So I figured, the, I suspect that the supernatural powers is figurative language. Just like, just like back in the old days, you would say the preacher really brought down hellfire and damnation from the sky today. Any more comments on that?
You're going, I'm sorry. So what you're saying is just words, it's not real. It's figurative language. You, you've got, I, I wasn't able to, to cover this in the introduction, but you have figurative language and you have symbols in Revelation. Sometimes the symbols are like beast one, beast two, the image. But you have figurative language like supernatural. Saying that something has supernatural powers, well, it doesn't really. It just that's what it looks like to the people who are subject to them. Clearly, Rome did not have supernatural powers. It just they were just so powerful. It looked like they did. Is that a reasonable explanation? Yes, sir. Next week, you'll be the first talker, okay? Okay, well, thank you for your attention, and that is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.